So today um, is the second, and um, here's um, the proverb I picked, verse 12. Wisdom will prevent you from doing the wrong thing. It will keep you away from people who stir up trouble by what they say. That's a good one. Okay, so today we're starting a whole new series, and I'm calling it Perspective. It's really taken from one of my favorite books, um, the book of Philippians. Everybody say the word perspective. Perspective. Way to go. Okay, good job. So we're going to go through the book of Philippians, and uh, we're going to talk about four different categories over the next four weeks. And I'm going to give you a little bit of context here about the book book of uh, Philippians. And, And the context is helpful because... More information sometimes can give us another perspective about things, and I think it'll bring some help as we um, as we look at this, look at the word here, and 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 see what it can help us with our life. The book of Philippians is short, and I'll just mention this on the side: you could probably read it in fifteen minutes. And over the next um, several weeks, you know, it would be helpful to you if you've read it. So if you have a chance, make a chance. Spend fifteen minutes sometime in the next week. I don't give homework very often. Okay, so sometime in the next week, sit down and read the book of Philippians. It's under P, right? You know, G-E-P, I mean, Gentiles eat pork chops. That's how you find it. It's Philippians or General Electric Power Company. Okay, so we've all got our little um, deal. So find the book of Philippians and read it. It actually was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to, um, to the church in Philippi. And um, he, he actually started that church. And you can read all about that whole thing, how it started in Acts chapter 16. It's a pretty cool story, the things that were going on. He was, he was an apostle. He was sent by God. And um, he loves to, this guy just was, he loves to lead people to Christ. And so he would raise up leaders and he would start churches in, in all these different cities. And he started this church in about the year 52 AD. So this is about 20 years or so after Jesus has gone on the cross, died and resurrected from the dead. And um, you'll see this, this deep affection that the Apostle Paul has for these people in this church. So this is about 10 years later, and he's writing this letter to them in response to something they did for him. And he was actually in very, very significant need. We'll touch on that a little bit today. So the people there in the, in the church in Philippi had taken up a, a very generous love offering for him and had sent him this gift to help him out financially. And he was you know, so blessed that he wrote this very deep, heartfelt um, thank you letter to them. And in the middle of that, he mingled in some gentle and loving you know, teaching, which I think you couldn't keep it from doing, which is that. So you know, as you look at the highlights and the high points of the book of Philippians, you'll see there's just an unmistakable theme that carries through the whole thing. And that theme is joy. Joy. And um, in fact, you'll see the word joy or rejoice or some form of that word. It shows up, I think, 19 times, something like that. You know, pastors love to count. You know, I think 19 times that word comes up. The point is, is that there's definitely something the Holy Spirit is trying to get through to us. This isn't just about a letter, but this is something that the Holy Spirit wants to massage into our souls. Not to get us to do something, but to make our lives better. That's what the, what's, that's what the heart of God is here. And so um, it's amazing, too, that the theme here is joy, considering the circumstances. There were some pretty massive negative circumstances going on in Paul's life here. And if you looked at that, you'd say, this guy's got no footing to stand up and be joy-filled. It just, it just doesn't make any sense. So um, there's going to be some information that maybe will change your perspective. We're going to come back to that in a minute. I, I love it when um, you find out something and you realize, well, man, I've had the wrong viewpoint here all along. I mean... 
How many of you ever met somebody and after your first impression you thought, man, I don't really care for that person. He's just kind of snobby or stuck up or rude or, you know. Anybody ever met anything like anybody? Boy, most of you have gone a very nice life. You've never met anybody that rubbed you wrong. Um, you know, I mean, if you know somebody like that, don't elbow them right now. I mean, <laughs> but, then, but then when you find out their story, Maybe you get to know them a little bit. You find out the things that they face and what they're going through. You start to realize, I had no idea that that was going on. And um, you know, then your heart starts to change a little bit because you've got a new, a new perspective. You know, that old axiom about still waters run deep. I mean, you can't always judge, judge books by their cover, right? You've got you've to spend a little bit of time. And it, it, it could be for you, you know, sometime, maybe you're late to get somewhere, or you're having a really bad hair day, or you're stuck in traffic, and uh, your car's overheating and steam's coming out, and you're frustrated because of this, all this stuff that's just going wrong. And uh, then you encounter somebody that you have found out they're facing something terrible, something really tragic. I mean, you know, even it's devastating kind of a thing. And then you realize, oh, well, <laughs> you know, my little problems really, really aren't that bad after all. So your perspective gets changed. Um, there's, a, there's a letter that kind of circulates. I've, every once in a while I see it come passing by um, on the Internet, and um, it's come passing a bag, and I thought, oh, that's perfect. So I'm going to read this. This is a letter uh, a young lady wrote to her mom and dad after going away to college. Dear mom and dad, it's been three months since I left home for college. I'm sorry for my thoughtlessness in not having written before. I'll bring you up to date, but before you read on, maybe you should sit down, okay? Okay. I'm getting along pretty well now. The skull fracture and the concussion I got when I jumped out of the apartment window because of the fire is pretty well healed. Since getting out of the hospital, I can see almost normally and only get headaches once a day. Fortunately, the fire and my jump were witnessed by Roger, the guy who owns the tattoo parlor. He called the fire department. He also visited me in the hospital, and since I had nowhere to live, he was kind enough to invite me to share his apartment with him. He's a fine man, and we've decided to get married. We haven't seen the date. We haven't set the date yet, but it'll be before my pregnancy begins to show. His divorce is final now, and he got custody of all three kids, exclamation mark heart. The reason for the delay in the marriage is that he's had a minor infection which prevents us from passing our premarital blood test, and I carelessly caught it from him. This will soon clear up because of the penicillin injections. I'm so thankful. Now that I brought you up to date, I want to tell you that there there was no fire. I did not have a concussion or a skull fracture. I was not in the hospital. I'm not pregnant. I'm not engaged. I don't have syphilis, and there's no divorced man in my life. However, I am getting a D in art. And an F in biology. And I wanted you to see those marks in their appropriate perspective. <laughs> you haven't seen, heard that one before? Okay, that's great. One person, thank you, Lord. What I want to do is give you some information that might change your perspective a little bit as you read through Philippians. And the Apostle Paul actually wrote this joy-filled letter this letter of appreciation, wearing physical shackles. His legs were in irons. Acts 28 will explain that a little bit. You can read that. We won't go there today. But he was literally chained. For two years, he was literally chained and literally in the presence of a guard because he was preaching the gospel. 
And if you know about Paul, you know, his, his greatest dream was to be able to go and preach the gospel, share about Jesus with the people of Rome. And he wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but instead when he got there, he was going as a prisoner. And we're going to see that if you are open to a different perspective, if you're not so certain that you have a lock on reality from your viewpoint, if you're open to a change in perspective, even in the middle of a really significant trial, that God can give you joy no matter what. No matter what. So let's start reading Philippians 1, starting in verse 2. And I've been praying that God's going to give us a different perspective. So Paul writes this letter to the church, and he says, verse 2, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, listen to this guy's emotion. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray, and now here we see it for the first time, I pray joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this. Now, he's going to encourage these people. That he who began, that's God, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's faithful to complete it. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. He's saying, yeah, even though I'm in chains, knowing that these people were already very concerned about him, he's saying, yeah, even though I'm in chains, I'm really, really doing well here. And, and so he's about to reassure them because he doesn't want these people to be freaked out. Now, the first times as a Christian, when I would read the book of Philippians, I would think, oh, this mamby-pamby book. It's this forced joy that's not, it's here on the outside, but down inside, I'm breaking, my heart's breaking, and I can't stand it. That is not what is going on here. This man has authentic joy, and it's, it's not something that he had to huff and puff to put, get it out to the surface because he wanted to influence people. This is the real deal. And he's chained up. And if there's anything that maybe Paul would have changed about his life circumstances, it would have been probably to get out of those chains. Nevertheless, you know, he would have wanted to be free, I think. So I've got a question for you. And you know, be honest with yourself. You don't have to answer this out loud. Do you have a circumstance in your life Something that you wish was different? You know, you just wish God would change something. You know, say to yourself, I just wish this wasn't this way. And chances are that all of us at some point can look up and say, you know, I just wish this wasn't this way. You know, it seems like when you're young, you want to be older. Because you get privilege and stuff. And when you get older, you want to be younger because your body works. I took a tumble last night. I mean, I got bumps and bruises, and it was just klutziness. Am I turning into a klutz? <laughs> Silence from my wife. <laughs> when, you're, when, when a pastor asks his wife something in church, and she won't answer, it's because the answer's not good. You don't want to really hear the answers. You're turning into a klutz here. Um, and, you know, I mean, when we're older, we want to be younger, and we, we think, you know, how come I'm never satisfied or... You know, maybe you'd say, I, I wish I wasn't doing this kind of work or, um, you know, it seems beneath me. It's not very fulfilling or, you know, so I'm not crazy about the people at work. They drive me nuts. And, um, or maybe you think, you know, I wish I didn't live where I live. I wish I didn't live in the city that I live in. I wish I had different friends. I wish I had, you know, a different house. I wish I had a house. I wish I was married. I wish I was in a better marriage, you know. I'd give anything to have kids. You know, or some people say, well, I wish I would have kids that would behave differently. 
And we, we look at our lives and we just, we mostly, probably most of us, an awful lot of time are thinking there are just some things I just wish would be different. So I want to give you three quick observations um, about this. Three quick observations about this. One, we all have a what and don't understand the why. There's a what. There's something going on in our life, in my life. I don't understand this, and, it's, and you know, I don't understand why it's not different. God, why don't you do something about this in my life? I was, you know, there was something on TV this morning as I was, you know, shaving, and it was this guy talking about bowling on this show, and he bowls the ball, and it doesn't go, it doesn't knock the pins down, and he, he was joking. He says, God, why me? You know, like... His big problem was that he didn't get his strike. I mean, as small as that, or we, we tend to say, you know, why, why? Why are these things just not? And I don't understand the why. All of us, at different seasons, I think all of us have a what, but we don't understand the why. Second thing is, God has a why behind the what. I love knowing that. God has a why that's behind the what. And, uh, you know, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. The thing is this. God is good through and through. He's good through and through. And there's something about his character that when you can tether yourself to that, it makes a difference because God does have control. And here's something somebody said to me one time, and it made me angry because I was hurting. And this person says to me, God never wastes a hurt. That's different than saying, God hurt you to teach you something. That is not what the guy said. He said, God never wastes a hurt. You know, I was thinking about this, and it took me down this little rabbit trail, and I'm going to take you with me on just a short rabbit trail. You know, if I really believe that the enemy of our souls has a couple of strategies that have been very, very effective in our culture today. The one, one of those is to convince people he isn't real. That's a, that's a hellish strategy to, to, to convince people. Scripture says otherwise. Life experience says otherwise. Yet culture has effectively, very effectively, suggested to most people or many people that the devil isn't real. Because if he's not real, that means we get to blame God for all the bad stuff. And a lot of people do. They blame God for bad stuff. The second strategy that I think hell has perpetrated on our culture is that, that God is angry and vengeful and not loving. I mean, it's a great, great strategy if you're going to try and drive people away from the love of God. And it's been very effective. So when this guy says to me, God never wastes a hurt, it made me angry. Because I don't want God leveraging hurt in my life. The thing is, that when my heart is tender... For whatever reason, I'm more supple before the Holy Spirit. That's just me. Might be true of you too. Could be. And if you have, how shall I say this in a charitable way to myself? If you have strength of heart, strong-willed, <laughs> it's harder sometimes for the gentle lessons to get massaged in there. And sometimes there has to be something broken on the outside for the Holy Spirit to get in there. God never wastes a hurt yet. Here's a truth. God wants to take those things that the enemy wants to do in your life, the things that the enemy wants to do for evil, 
God will take those things and use them for your good. Genesis 50.20 is um, a great scripture. Hello. Oh, it's still hot. No, that's hot. That's good. Please excuse me. So this one's still working? This one's still working? No, it's off up here. Okay, that's enough. It, it's, it's dead. Thank you, Eric. I can see the little window. It's actually the football game. I don't know if I can preach one-handed. This is not going to be easy. Did you just say, oh, brother? <laughs> yeah, married to your brother. <laughs> Never mind. I'm going to get in trouble if I keep going on that. So God wants to take, he does and he can and he will take the things that the enemy means for evil in your life and he'll use them for your good. You know, he'll turn an attack into something good. He'll, he'll make a trial that you are experiencing and use that to develop character in you. And he'll build your faith in difficult times. God is working in all things. In all things. This scripture says, All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Romans 8.28 All things, all things, including the things that you would say, oh, I wish things were different here. I'm not telling you that God wants pain in your life. In fact, I believe it's the opposite. But if there is pain there, something hell has done somewhere along the way. Something subtle, a long time ago, that's grown to the point today where it really hurts. God will still use that. He won't waste that. And he'll somehow build you through it. God is working in all things. God has a, God has a, a why and the what. And the third thought is this. I don't have to understand why to trust God in the what. That's good. <laughs> <Atta> girl. <laughs> because I can trust God in the what, even though I don't know the why, I can do Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. He will tell you where to put your feet. He will show you where to go. He'll help you make a good decision. Lean not on your own understanding. You know, and if you're in a place right now where you're saying to yourself, you know, I just don't like this. I wish this was different. I'm really not sure what to do about this. I want to give you two questions to ask when life is hard. Two questions when life is hard. And even though you'll be tempted to ask why, I'm going to encourage you to hop right over that question and instead of that, go to the real issue and encourage this. Now what? Okay? Not like this. Oh, now what? If it's not one thing, it's another. I mean, not that now what? But the other now what? Where you say, okay, God, what, what's going on? What are you up to here? You know, um, I don't like what's going on. This hurts. So I'm going to trust you right now. I'm going to say, though, but, but what is it that you're up to here? Because if you're up to something, I want to be about that so I can move past this. Now what, God? What is it you're trying to do? Show me. What are you trying to do in me? 
And we see that starting to happen here in verse 12. And Paul says to the people in Philippi, he says, Now I want want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me... Let's pause that for just a second. Just take a minute there. What has happened to you? Not necessarily what did you do, but what has happened to you? Maybe you lost a job, or maybe you woke up one day in a just terrible place financially, or you know, maybe you got this bad report from the doctor, or maybe you have this relationship that's really important to you, and it's gotten really messed up somehow, or you've hit some sort of a dead end, and things are really bad. Maybe your cat had kittens. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I made it so far. Okay. Back to Paul. But what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I want you to know that what has happened, it was really bad, but it's served to advance the gospel. So he's encouraging these people, even as he's encouraging himself. And this word that's translated here as advance, it's a military term. It means to move forward. It literally means the people that went ahead and beat through the brush, making a place so that the army can advance and attack. Paul's saying that even though my circumstances look really bad, God is doing something in here really good. And so it helps to, it's helping to advance what God wants to do. Now, a lot of times you don't feel that way. You're going, you're going to be in a place and you think, you know, this isn't good. I do not see God working here. I don't feel his presence. I don't understand And maybe you get to the point where you say to yourself, maybe there's no way anything good is going to come out of this. You ever caught yourself saying that? And I want to encourage you, when you're there, to slow down for a second and allow your heart to be available to a change of perspective. Just be available in case there's something God wants to show you. Because we serve a God who, um, you know, is big enough We serve a God who specializes in taking those things that break our hearts and somehow turning them into something positive and fruitful in our life. You know, he turns obstacles into these divine opportunities to to show himself. He he can take setbacks. I've heard this before. You know, he takes our setbacks and turns them into setups. You know, uh, something where we set up, we're set up for him to be glorified to make a difference. And, you know, maybe you feel like you're in a prison like... Paul did, you know, he's chained up to things that he just doesn't like. You know, he doesn't want to be chained up to a prison guard. But there could be a divine purpose in that prison that he was in, and there was. What God means for, or what the enemy means for evil, God can actually use for our good. You may not see it, but if you allow it, you might be able to see a different perspective. So I thought I'd give you some perspective exercises this morning. Um, So I want you to look at this and tell me, is this guy facing you or toward your left? I don't know. He's facing you. Is he? <laughs> That's a creepy picture. Let's get off of that. Um, go ahead. Let's see the next one. What's going on here? That guy's got strong stomach muscles. I know that much. Come on. That's fun. You know, right? Okay, turn the camera sideways. It's a, okay, never mind. Last one. I want to know if this guy's wearing nylons.
Who's carrying who in this picture? <laughs> there are just times when, okay, that's good. Um, when you just don't see it, you don't understand, you know, you just, you don't like it. And even though you don't necessarily um, see it, God is there. If you just look through the, th- the circumstances, you might actually see that God has an actual purpose for what's going on in the middle of your prison. Just, but you have to look sometimes with spiritual eyes and not with your carnal eyes. He will give you the eyes to see that. He will show you. And I really believe that in this room right here, right now, and people may be listening to this at some point in the future, that God would be saying to you, I can use those circumstances. Circumstances that you would never, ever choose for yourself. You would never say, I'm going to be there. You would never pick that. But if you, God would say to you right now, if you would trust me with the why, and ask me, what, what is it that you want to do here, God? What, what do you want to show me? What do you want to do in me? What do you want to create in me, do through me? In these circumstances that I would never choose, that God is saying, I will show myself faithful to you. Trust me. Verse three, 13, we see, we, we see this kind of come to life. Verse 13, he says, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Historically, the praetor- these guards were the most powerful people, among the most, most influential people. And this thing of Jesus caught fire, and a whole lot of these people got saved, historically. And now, you might look at this and see the picture and not know that whole picture and say, and say hey, hey, wake up, Paul. You're chained up, buddy. You're in prison. This is not a happy time. Quit being so cheerful. This is not good. But Paul's perspective is completely different than that. You know, we think you're tied down, you can't preach Christ, but you've forgotten who he's chained to. He gets chained to four different Roman guards every day. Every, you know, six hours, another guard would come in and they would swap the chains. He'd stay, they would swap. And uh, so he's chained now to these leaders, these guys of influence. And being chained meant literally being chained. You know, they, these guards took their their uh, responsibilities very carefully because if your charge escaped, your cost was your life. They would execute the guard that, that someone got away. So he's thinking, hey, these Romans have given me a captive audience. I can, you know, with some of the most powerful people in Rome. And so the real question was, who is actually chained to who? You know, I think that through and I think, you know, some of those poor guards, Right? They're actually very fortunate. But I'm thinking God knew those guards when they were little boys. Thinking, I know your heart and I know your pathway in life. I'm going to move you over here. You're going to be part of this group. Da, 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 da. Pretty soon you're going to say, oh, you're in now. I have to go do prison duty. Because that was not a desired duty among, among the uh, Roman soldiers. But God was directing things so that those guys would get, they would get saved. Who was chained to who? I, mean, I, I heard this preacher tell this story one time um, about when he was in college, he decided to, to, to learn this, this, this martial art called Aikido. And this martial art called Aikido. And I don't know too much about it. I've seen it a couple of times. And, and so he talks about this time that he, he was kind of learning it some. And he, had, he went to a different class than he normally went to. And when he got in the door, all he saw was, you know, the way he characterized it as, you know, 50-year-old big men. 
you know, this kind of big, right? And so he thought, oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get anything out of this today. And one of these, you know, these large-bellied men came up to him and said, hit me. And he said, no, I'm not going to hit you. No, hit me. No, I'm not going to hit you. Hit me. I don't want to hurt you. Hit me. So he took a big swing, hard as he could go. And, of course, the big guy stepped back, grabbed the arm, pulled him past, put him on the ground, and sat down on him until he screamed for mercy. <laughs> and the point of that whole martial art is that you use the power and the force of your opponent against them. You use their, tr- their, their weight. You use their force and when they're attacking against you. And when Satan attacks you and me and throws all of his weight at us, you take him by the power of God and you sit on him. And do you realize you have that kind of authority? You know, you say, God is doing something here. I'm, an, I'm under attack. Okay. You think that, that you're going to have some sort of victory in my life. You're thinking this. You don't pray to the devil. You're thinking this and you're thinking, okay, we'll just see. Because you have evil plans for my life. But God will use this for my good. Now I'm going to sit on you and make you pay. <laughs> and some of you, I mean, I really, I really feel like I, some of us here today are probably going through some very, very hard things. And what's testing you today could be your testimony tomorrow. What it is, the testing that you are enduring at this moment could become the material that becomes your testimony tomorrow. Verse 14. Because of my chains, most of my brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. God's all over this. I, you know, I hope you can see it like I do. I love this book. So you wake up one day and you're not married and you want to be married. Now what? You wake up one day and you're financially strapped like you never thought you would be. Okay, God, I don't know the why, but what? 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 What do you want to do? What do you want to do in me? How are you going to show yourself in this? You know, maybe you've hit a dead end somewhere or you've got a dead end career and you're saying to God, now what? I still trust you with everything, God. But now what? Second question to ask, and this is a healthy question, is so what? There's some division in the church, and Paul wants to address that in verse 15. He talks about it. So he, so he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And then in verse 18, he asks this question. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or not, these guys are preaching Christ. And because of this, I rejoice. He's got his eyes on the bigger issues here. Important thing is that Christ is preached. That's what's important. So, hey, what does all this other stuff matter? This is, this is his argument. I mean, I could get pretty riled up about it. We could go on and on. We could blog about it. We could gossip about it. We could write letters of complaint. We could have a pity party about it. We can do all these things. But what does all, all of that really, really matter? And sometimes, even though things are bothering you, you just have to learn to say, okay, this might be a so what moment. You know, I'm trying to train myself right now. I've been for a while trying to train myself to do that because I take 
too many things too seriously. In spite of the fact that I'm always goofing, goofing off and joking around, I do take some things way more serious than I need to. And, you know, so sometimes when things irritate me or they bother me, I like to ask myself, I'm trying to ask myself, okay, what effect is this going to have 100 years from now? Probably about 15 years ago, my mom and um, a friend of hers, it was maybe more than 15 years ago, would always say to me, oh, well, Terry, how does that matter in the light of eternity? <laughs> in the light of eternity, I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> you, know, you know, whatever. Those words, bat those things out of the air. And they were so wise. Because things that really bothered me, I don't even remember what they were. And in the light of eternity, in a hundred years, they're nothing. There's nothing there. In fact, a lot of times, it's not going to be a big deal in one year or one month. Might as well be one minute. Might as well be. Because when we ask that question, so what? It frees us to focus on the things that are really important instead of wasting our time and our heart. So you're watching your favorite TV show. Your VCR is broken. They're old by now. You should get something newer anyway. (laughs) And you're watching your favorite show, and they break in with a speech. The president's coming with a speech. Maybe it's important that you watch the speech. So what if you missed your show? It'll be rerun four times next week. (laughs) So what? You're running late because a train is coming to the tracks, and you had to stop and wait. Ding, ding, ding. And you got to wait, and it's a long one and a long one, and they stop. And then they back up, and you know, you're thinking, what is going on? The Tour de France is on the other side of the train. I'm out of it now, and they let me through there. And, and you know, what's it going to matter in 100 years? Your best friend wins the lottery and goes around giving $100,000 to everybody but you. What's it matter in 100 years? So what? The IRS asks to see your tax records. You haven't ripped off Uncle Sam, but still, that's no fun, right? You ever got a letter? So what? So what? When you identify that it isn't that big a deal, your, your perspective is changing, and suddenly now you have the ability to focus on things that are really more important. Because so often we get wrapped up in things that are not eternal. When you identify that it isn't that big a deal, you can put your focus where it belongs. What does matter? Well, God matters a lot. Eternity matters a lot. Serving people matters. Using whatever is the gifts that the Lord has given you to help people around you matters a lot. That's what Paul would say. And he says this most stunning thing as he wraps this up, the part that we're going to finish for today. Uh, Probably one of the most stunning things that mortal humans could say. Verse 21, he says, For to me, to live is Christ." In other words, if I continue living, my whole purpose here is to represent Christ somehow, some way. And to die is gain. What a remarkable statement. It has poetry. It sounds well when it rolls off the tongue. But boy, it's a hard one to get a hold of. But he really, genuinely means it. In this, you know, in this Roman prison, Paul was writing this joy-filled letter He was waiting for his trial to determine whether he was going to live or that they would execute him. So he was basically on on death row here 
For me to live as, as Christ to die means to be in his presence. When you have that perspective, things that tend to weigh us down really don't matter that much. So we all have a what and we don't understand the why. The good news is that God always has a why behind the what. And we don't have to understand the why to put our trust in God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, today I pray that your spirit would just minister to us, especially people, honey, Lord, that, that are hurting and struggling. And God, that your presence and the teaching of your word, that, that God, that, that would get into our souls and that we'd be different. And church, as you, as you reflect a little bit in, in these moments of prayer, I know that many of you could be going through some really, really hard things, and I don't want to minimize that pain at all. I don't want to say it's no big deal because I know sometimes it's a really big deal. Life can throw some really hard punches sometimes. But in the middle of that, I pray that you can trust God with the why. With the why. And if you're saying to God, you know, I'm in something here, Lord, and I really wish things were different, I'm going to pray for you right now too. God, I pray that power of your spirit would minister into people's souls, hope and faith and trust. God, I pray that, you know, there, that, that today that many of us would realize, those that need to get this into our soul, we would realize that because of your goodness, when our enemy throws his weight towards us, God, that you're going to use what he meant for evil and that you're going to instead turn it for good. Thank you, God, that that's your character, it's your nature, it's what you love to do. I pray, Lord, that we'd be encouraged and, and that, Lord, as we're being tested in different areas of our lives, maybe today or maybe tomorrow, that, Lord, we will tell of your faithfulness, how the work, you know, how you worked, how you did something in us and through us. God, I pray for your miraculous presence. And, Lord, I ask for people who are hurting this moment, for the peace that goes beyond their understanding to settle in their soul, that we would choose to trust you, God, with the why, and then surrender ourselves to do and to be what you call us to do. I pray all of these things to your glory in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I think that uh, your mic going out worked for good because now we know you can preach with one hand.